Hey everybody, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. Uh, we have a very special episode today that we are going to kind of be using as a intro to a series we'll be doing about church offices coming up. Um, I am Joshua Knoll. I am one of your co-hosts. I'm here with the better co-host, uh, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Hello, hello. It's nice to be here. Yeah, and uh, we are joined by uh, two of our other co-hosts from the other podcast, TJ and I do, Systematic Geekology. We have Pastor Will Rose of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill and Joe Day of Buddy Walk with Jesus and I guess also of Systematic Geekology. <laughs> hey, guys, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Glad to be here. All right. Uh, we wanted to shout out our patrons really quick. Uh First name basis, you know, we're all good, close friends with these people. We got Austin, Russell, Sandra, Lily, Jeannie, Aaron, Justin, Freda, Taryn, my sister, and Dawn, my mom. I don't call her that, though. <laughs> you don't call her Dawn, my mom? <laughs> no, uh, not usually. Hey, I I am so excited for this. Uh, the series we have coming up, we're going to be asking what the purpose of church offices are and how they can contribute to unity. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the usefulness of organized religion in general and institutions. Um, and the reason we have uh, Pastor Will and Joe here with us is uh, Pastor Will is from a higher liturgical church who has a cool story he's going to share here in a minute about uh, the usefulness of organized religion. Joe has a little bit of a different perspective coming from a home church, and we thought this would be just a good way to get the ball rolling before we start that series. Um, but that being said, we're still going to start with a silly question because I can't help myself. It's uh, it's just so much fun for me. And also, <laughs> it's just so hard to argue when you're being silly, you know, it's, it's just such a great form of unity. Today's today's since we're all from the geek podcast. What one comic book character would you most like to see introduced into the MCU that isn't a Marvel character? So it could be DC, Dark Horse, whatever. Who from outside of Marvel would you like to see in the MCU? Uh, TJ, you want to go first? Uh, sure. So I thought about this for a good long two minutes. And okay, uh, yeah. I, at first I thought Spawn because, you know, I think that, you know, <laughs> yeah. that'd be interesting. But I think I'm going to go with Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, because he would he'd solve all the MCU's problems in about 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice nice and then uh i'll go next give our guests some time to think um i'm gonna go with abe from hellboy comics um i feel like hellboy is a little bit too grunge but nice. abe is just awkward nice. enough that i think he'd, he'd add a really fun team dynamic to the to the whole deal uh pastor will what one comic book character that's not from marvel that would you like to see in an mcu movie Man, are we doing comic books or can I go from like all geekdom and, and like cartoons? Do, do you want me to stick with with comics? Uh, this is the whole church podcast. So TJ's the boss. I have to ask him. Yeah, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, when you think about that, a character that I want to see like MCU to come in, I want to see Thundar the Barbarian from the Hanna-Barbera um, cartoons <laughs> of the 80s. He's like a mix of like Conan the Barbarian meets Luke Skywalker with a thunder sword and he screams at this apocalyptic uh, environment that he's a part of. And so I think Thundar would mix it up with his brash barbarian style, but still, you know, he's, he's all about kind of the magic and uh, his, his sword. I, I think he'd be great. 
Nice. Nice. All right, Joe, bring us home. What one non-Marvel character would you like to see in an MCU movie? I think I got to go with Wally West Flash. I think that he nice. his his lightheartedness and spirit and, you know, uh, nigh Robin Hood complex that he's got, I think, would f- would fill it, fit in quite nicely. Mm-hmm. All right. And so uh, he would also solve all of the MCU's problems in about 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Or 30 seconds because he's pretty. Prob- yeah, yeah, probably 30 seconds. Yeah. So uh, whoever's working on that uh, Into the Multiverse film. Just keep these ideas in mind. Yeah. Um, I feel like I that's say- next. I feel like that's next. Like we, <laughs> we're we're doing multiverse stuff, but pretty soon DC and Marvel are going to get together that, and be like, let's let's match so this up. Fun. And they've done it in the comics a few times out there, but if they did in the movie universe, it would uh, at some point. And you know, maybe when I have grandkids, I can take my grandkids to to that. Yeah, movie. yeah, right. I uh, I I was originally going to do a villain, like a Marvel, like a Batman villain. And introduce it to the MCU. Then I realized it's just so hard to pick one that I, I didn't try. Yeah, Nice. All right. So on to the real show. Uh, Joe, since this is your first time on our show, uh, we thought it would be helpful to start off by hearing your story of coming to the faith and getting involved with the home church movement. So um, I was originally part of the organized church movement. When I was a kid, I was a part of the Baptist uh, denomination. Um, none of it was, was relationship oriented. It was a checklist. Grew up in a household where the name of God was recognized, but nothing more. Um, and that kind of dovetailed into some time under a guy that was a mentor to me in a lot of ways. And, and I really thought for a while that I, I, I had a, an authentic relationship with God, um, but it was it was nothing more than more than lip service, and that was all non denominational type stuff. Uh, starting, uh, uh, I was there from the from the the grassroots of this church that was born out of a local uh, mega church. I walked away from from the whole religion thing, went off, lived my life, the whole nine yards. Um, long story short, I got I got really sick. And the this empire that I built for myself of success and everything um, came crashing down, and I was left with a with 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 a whole lot of nothing. And I figured, you know, maybe maybe the Padre will say something that will make me feel good for a minute. So I decided what what choice or or what um, what loss is it to to go to go to church. And so I went to church and um, I proceeded to actually hear the gospel for the first time. And um, it, it, my, my whole world shattered in the, in the best possible way. Um, fast forward, I and ended up back at that same church, that, that church that I was a part of from its, from its inception. Um, and it, it was fine. You know what I mean? It was, it was fine. And then, the guy that was like a mentor to me left and my wife was from that same mega church. That was the original that, that this came off of. And then the church shut down and then 2020 happened. Um, and, and we were both kind of left with this, you know, where, where do we go from here? What, what's, what's next sort of thing. And we had ended up partnering with a group of Christians that, um, we were kind of like a, like a small group, but different and through, through the church that we were all attending. Um, but the, the, myself and the other leader of this group, um, 
we we spoke the same language. We spoke kingdom, right? This this whole thing of what is the kingdom of God and and all of that kind of stuff. And we realized that that there was there is a, a mighty need in this area that none of the churches are actually really fulfilling in any substantial kind of way. And he's a little bit more organized than I am, like meaning meaning he he would be the one that out of the two of us, you'd probably be more likely to catch at at a church, like a formal church and all of that. Um, I mean, the building, we'll get into that because there is formality to a home church and all of that. But um, it's kind of gone from gone from there. You know what I mean? That's that was kind of the the inception point for me. Um, you know, would I would I you know, the, the old saying goes, you never say never. Right. And especially being the type of person that I am being open to living all over God's green earth and looking at being, getting into ministry, you know, Josh has heard some of my, some of my, my off air comments about how, how much of a heart I have for getting involved in ministry. You know, I guess never, never say never, I just going to church for going to church's sake is not something that really fits for me. And so I'm very vocal about uh, about how helpful home churches can be in the right situation circumstance all of the many many asterisks. Yeah. Yeah. And I um yeah, I totally I totally Get where you're coming from. I, I, when I lived in Charleston for two years, I was part of a, I went to a regular church, but then I also had a, a group that I would say was a little more than a small group, if that makes the, to use your term. So I, I definitely see the allure of that. And ironically, I'm attending a Lutheran church now. So I'm just kind of like, I, 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 that's just where I'm coming at with this conversation where I'm like, I kind of had my foot in both of your worlds of our guests. Um, <laughs> uh, TJ, I believe, You've you've always just Pentecostal church, right? Yep. Big Pentecostal yeah. guy. Well, yeah. I know, I'm like five six, five seven, but <laughs> yeah, I'm still Pentecostal at heart. But you know, just where God has me at the moment. <laughs> right. So, uh, thank you for sharing, Joe. Uh, we believe it's super important to hear that kind of story from everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. Pastor Will, why do you believe in a more organized liturgical expression of worship? Yeah, I think um, I, I am a part of Lutheran Church, and if you talk about organized, we're the most organized or most <laughs> structured. Like even in our worship bulletin, there's rubrics of like when to sit and when to stand, and the <laughs> what to pray is in bold, and everyone prays it. So we're the most structured that man that's probably out there uh, in terms of the, those rules. And you're right; it can get it can get super monotonous. It can be a checklist. It can be just I go to church because this is what I do, and it becomes a, a, a formula of this is just what I do for an hour on Sunday. And, and as a pastor who has a heart for helping shepherding people and helping people grow closer to Jesus and following Jesus uh, and growing in their love and passion for Jesus, that's my biggest fear is that it becomes r- so routine that they're not even thinking about it. And it's not, it's just something that they do. Um, but I think the the structure and the organization and the rituals and the prayer and the sacraments um, at its um, 
finest moment at its most ideal idealistic purpose is to help people draw people in closer to the story of Jesus. So the seasons of the church year that we follow tell the story of Jesus for the, an entire year. Uh, the sacraments of baptism, of Eucharist, of um, uh, the rituals that we do, uh, weddings, uh, confirmation, youth group, these things that we do together help us enrich and provide an opportunity for us to grow closer in community with one another and understand the Jesus story better and apply it to our lives so we can live it in our daily lives. So that's, I feel like I know that if I didn't have that structure, I would just do whatever I, I would, you know, surf a lot and read a lot of comic books and go it. But, but these rituals and these things that are there for me on a weekly and daily basis, help me stay focused and in our inner walk and with Jesus. So, um, Similar to like my relationship with my, my wife, it's, it's not structured that we have to say a certain thing to each other each day, but there are rituals and things we do as a family, like gathering for dinner and recognizing anniversaries and birthdays and going on vacations and having certain seasons of the year together that embed and entangle our lives with one another. And I feel like the church um, at its best can, can help do that and help people um, understand and grow in the story of Jesus better. All right. Awesome. Uh, I believe that you had said to us that you had a story you wanted to share about why organized religion isn't a bad thing. Yeah, I'm involved in a campus ministry. So uh, we're right on the doorstep of University of North Carolina, Go Heels. And uh, we have young adults and grad students and um, um, all the time coming through our doors. And and as young adults do, they ask a lot of good questions and and challenge us in a lot of things and why we do things. And um, I I did have a student not that long ago. And in fact, it happens a lot. We get that question a lot. Why do we need organized religion? Why do we need the church? Why can't I just worship God when I go fishing or go hiking or go surfing? And, and I get that. I, um, you can experience God is not limited to the box or just the room of the sanctuary of the church. God is everywhere. God is embedded in creation. You can experience God anywhere with anyone. Um, but when this one particular student came to me and it's like, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to go to church because I don't think I need it. I just going to. I don't think we need organized religion. And I knew that this particular student was involved with Relay for Life, this organization that helps raise money uh, for cancer research. And so I kind of looked at Zach and said, "Uh, Zach, like, you know, you're involved with Relay for for Life, right? And he was like, he was like, yeah. And I was like, do you guys have meetings? He was like, yeah. Um, I was like, do you have a budget that you're entrusted with? Yeah. Do you have certain times a year that you gather together to talk about planning for the how to do your big relay and and how to raise money and how to contact people? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, what if I told you I was for cancer research, but just not organized cancer research? Would that make any sense? And he was like, no, we got it. We got to figure out what we're doing and how we use this money. And I'm like, yeah, that that's how I see. I believe in religion, just not organized religion, because as people, yeah, when it comes to people there, when you get committees together and people together, you have politics, it can get toxic, you have money, there's abuse, there's corruption, people, wherever people are gathered, no matter what organization, it, because we're people, we're, we're, we're fallen humanity, that, that we're going to abuse it. Um, but ideally, um, the reason we organize is so that we hold each other accountable uh, so that we are good stewards of the money and resources that are entrusted to us. And so that's the point I was trying to make with Zach is like, yeah, I'm, I'm for cancer. I can't say I'm for unorganized, I'm against organized cancer research. Um, there, there's, 
you you want to use these resources in the right way. So you have organiza- you have an organization like Relay for Life that helps you do that. And I think the church is the same way. Is there corruption? Absolutely. Have we screwed a lot of things up? Absolutely. Uh, do we abuse things? Yep, uh, it's far from perfect. But I also believe that Jesus was a part of of an organized religion. He's part of Judaism. He went to temple. He went to synagogue. He he practiced the Passover. Um, now, was he a harsh critic critic of it? Absolutely. Did he flip? Uh, tables and the temple. Yep. Um, but he also went with his followers and his family and he preached on occasion in, in the synagogue and, and gathered together uh, to hear the story that, that he was entangled with, this, this story of the Exodus and how that was uh, shaped their understanding of how they understand God. So um, so anyway, that's just a way to say that that I'm, I'm for organized religion. I understand that Jesus is there to help hold us accountable and how he treated organized religion. And that's why um, hold each other accountable. But I do think that since we are entrusted with resources and, and money and we have a mission um, of sharing this good news, how do we use our gifts and resources to um, advance that and to be, um, I guess, um, the best way to manage those things and move forward together as uh, a team is the best way we know how possible. All right. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Hopefully that reaches who it needs to reach, uh, which, you know, could be any of us. But Hey, guys, we just wanted to take a quick break to tell you a few ways that you can support the whole church podcast, your favorite church unity podcast. Yes, yeah, so you can sign up for our newsletter at our website or by emailing us at thewholechurch at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You could share this episode on your own social media. You could donate to us on Cash App with the tag that's in the show notes. You could follow us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast. You can subscribe to this show wherever great podcasts are found, or you could rate us on Apple Podcasts or Podchasers. Especially that last one. It's a really great way for us to get recognition not only from the community, but from people looking to find new good podcasts. Yeah. So let's get back to the show then. Yeah. So, Joe, I'm going to let you answer this first. Uh, How does the idea of the priesthood of all believers express itself in your tradition of the home church? So I think a lot of this juxtaposition of organized versus unorganized or home church versus the church building comes down to, um, and unfortunately, some people hear home church and they think disorganized. They think that it's just kind of there's no there is no system in place, any of that kind of stuff. Having a system in place it, and it's going to sound like I'm like I'm veering off the topic, but I'm bringing it back back, back to your question here. Um, having having a system in place, um, that's that's biblical, right? There's a there there are church offices that are discussed very blatantly in the Bible. There, mm-hmm. I, I fundamentally believe in the plurality of elders. You know what I mean? Because when one person is the star of the show, they become the star of the show. It's very easy to get a big head. That being said, though, this is where it gets back to your question. When you have specific jobs designated to specific people outside of 
the pastor, outside of those kinds of things, then it becomes one person's job to do that thing. Mm. You know, I, I see things like like the church office of evangelist. I see things like the church office of apostle and stuff like that, where when you when you look at the believers, the believer, the 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 kingdom is not a cruise ship of a couple of people work while everybody else just kind of sits back and relaxes. For me, I think that the key to making this whole thing work is disciples making disciples. And in order to do that, then that responsibility needs to fall on each individual person within the group. It can't fall to just one person or a group of people or something along those lines. So to me, having the priesthood of, of, of all believers, that is something that is, is rich in what I try to bring to this, the, the way that I do this thing, the way that I work this whole church thing out. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I got you. All right. Uh, so, Will, how does the that felt weird, Pastor Will? Uh, how does the idea <laughs> of the priesthood of all believers express itself in your tradition of Lutheranism? Well, I will get a little prideful and say that I think it was Martin Luther that coined the phrase priesthood of all believers, but um, I, we won't let that go to our heads because it is one of those things during the Reformation of like, look, this hierarchy, the the, the OG reformer, the OG of, um, you know, rage against the machine <laughs> where he was like, look, there's too much hierarchy. We're too wrapped up in buildings and sacraments and priests feel like they're better than everybody else. And it's the people who are, um, the, the separation division dichotomy between priest and the, the laity. He, he wanted to break that down. So, so it is, he was like, look, there are different roles of within this household of the church and gifts to use. Like I'm horrible at accounting and I do not want to be the accountant. So we have an accountant. Um, there are people who are better preachers. There are people, better teachers, people better behind the scenes, introverts, extroverts. He was like, let's, let's use all these gifts together. And there's some people who may be called just to preach and teach and do the sacraments, but, but we're all priests here. We're all on level ground. We're all disciples. There's no one greater or less than the other when it comes to, to following Jesus. There's no hierarchy with that. So that's, I lean in that because it's part of our Lutheran heritage. But I'll, I'll also say, as I hear, as I talk to Joe or hear Joe speak, like I, I'm, he's converted me to to the house church movement. Like I'm leaving tomorrow my church and I'm going to start. A, no, I'm just kidding. If my member, if, if my members, if my members are listening, to this, but, but I've always toyed around and, and even told my bishop that my dream of a mission church is to to do open air Lutheran church on a beach somewhere where where we don't own a building, where it's just where we don't have. Uh, well, Bible studies and ministry team meetings meet in homes and in coffee houses and and not wrapped up with the with building management because too much gets caught up with that. And then my own church, we are very staff heavy. We do a lot. We're having a church council church council retreat on Saturday. And one of our big topics is how do we get more people involved other than just our staff members doing everything? And that's the challenge. And so, um, and then during this pandemic, there's been an awakening. There's been a lot of, of pastors and people who are uh, part of organized denominations who are leaving their ministry 
uh, because they're like, I'm, I'm done with this because it's all put on my shoulders and I can't, I can't do this anymore. And what, and, and specifically as Joe's talked about kind of cruise ship mentality, um, one of my uh, Episcopal friends, um, priest down the road, he looked at me and said, I'm done with cruise ship ministry because I'm done. I'm not doing anymore. Uh, we're not just rearranging the, the, I'm not setting up a, a buffet for folks anymore. They got to get in the kitchen and cook with me. And that, and that is, that's kind of, I think we're emboldened in the midst of this pandemic and coming out of it um, to have, hopefully it's woken people out of complacency to say what, what really values for me and what role and gifts do I have to share within this community? And um, so, yeah, I'm on, I'm more on Joe's side right now. Not that this is any kind of debate, but I'm just saying that th those problems are real and within the organized uh, denominational mainline Protestant denominations um, that that we're fighting, and, and hopefully a new reformation and awakening is happening post pandemic. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna layer on to that then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to offer both of you some of the main critiques I have heard of your traditions um, just to kind of get your take. Um, well, not specifically Lutheranism, but uh, organized church building structures, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, two of the main critiques I've heard concerning that, uh, Pastor Will, um, one is all of that money we spend on lights in the church building instead of moving into homes could be used to help feed the poor and help our communities. Um, and then the other critique I was wondering if you could address was uh, as a Pentecostal, we always hear the critique of higher liturgical churches where all of that structure keeps the spirit out where there's no moment for the hmm. spirit to take over and lead the service. Um, how do you address those two critiques? Yeah. Um, the first one, I, I, I totally, I see the point and I agree with, yeah, it's like, how are, are we just in building management or are we using our resources to, um, to reach people with the spiritual or physical needs that, that they're longing for? And, um, but I think for me, like we did a capital campaign to renovate our building. And one of the big conversations was, are we going to raise a million dollars to to renovate this building or can, could that go to something in our community that could make a real difference? And we came back around and looked at our 75 year history uh, here on the doorstep of, of the university and said, if we don't have a facility that's um, functional and relevant, then then it, it creates a barrier for our students that we're reaching out to who want to have a safe place here to study, to grow, to ask questions, to worship, to to um, go through life together. And so I think in the midst of the pandemic, while I definitely agree buildings are a nuisance and man, I don't have a graveyard that I have to manage, but I know some pastor friends of mine who have yeah. a graveyard and they just say never never get a graveyard because it's just so much work and um, distract so much. But, but I think in the midst of the pandemic, when we couldn't gather in our building, we're doing it virtually, doing it online. The church was never closed. We we never stopped working and doing ministry. We were never canceled. It was, uh, we've always, we've continued to do what we do. But in the midst of being separated and distanced from one another, I think all of us have, have felt a longing to want to be in the same room and to have a building, uh, a building that, uh, that we can gather as our church home, as a place of Sabbath, a, a place of rest, a place of refocusing, a building that helps us, um, whether it's through our art and paintings and candles and sacraments that that 
point to the glory of God um, and and draw me into that story once again. So so the, I have a renewed sense of love for build at church buildings because of that. Um, but yeah, a good question. Are we using the money the right way? And uh, could it be used for other things is always a great question. Um, when it comes to a structural liturgical worship um, practice and, and boxing out the Holy Spirit or not allowing room for the Holy Spirit to move and be spontaneous. Um, my worship professor at seminary was like, well, we believe that the Holy Spirit was at work when we shaped and formed these prayers to articulate who we believe God to be. So whether it's the creeds or the hymns or the prayers within those sentences, within those paragraphs, within those words, we're, we're being intentional um, and that the Holy Spirit is working and, and what we're trying to articulate who this God is that we're praying to. Now, um, there will be times when I'll freak out my my um, my congregation and I'll say, all right, we're not going to read off the prayers today. I'm going to read some time for silence and I'm going to say something. And if you want to speak out loud and, and say a prayer, absolutely you're invited to. And we sometimes change it up and do that to leave room to help people. And um, but I will also say that like some of our youth who come who think that they're not, it's not like it's brainwashing, but it's definitely like this sense of like, we'll go on a ski trip and we don't have a worship bulletin in front of us. Like, all right, we're going to say the Lord's prayer together. Like, I don't know the Lord's prayer. I never learned it. I'm like, I bet if I get us going, you've been in church enough that you know it. And then they will, they'll say it word for word. And you're like, see, you know, it. like, Oh, I didn't know I knew that. It's like, yeah, saying it every Sunday for the last 14 years, you, you got it. So it, it, it embeds in them. So whether it's scripture, memorizing scripture, memorizing prayers, creeds, those kind of things, I think can help shape us and, and who we understand God to be and how we live. So, so yeah, both critiques are valid and we can grow in that and learn from that 100%. But I think there's value in, in kind of how we do things too. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I also, I'll say, you know, when we do the creeds and these prayers have been prayed for different people throughout history and all that certainly speaks a lot to unity, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, there yeah, you go. But, That's uh, another thing The the lessons, the, 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 the readings we do every Sunday from the revised common lectionary. I know that my, what we're reading and preaching from on Sunday, my my colleague down the road or in another state, uh, or even my Episcopal friend is, is, has the same readings, the same season, and that we're unified in, in that. And um, so there's a certain sense that that I'm a part of something larger than just my church here on the corner. We're part of a larger Lutheran church, but we're also part of a larger Catholic church, lowercase c, meaning universal, that, that they're, they're all, there's a universal oh, church around us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then another side note before I... Uh, I'm going to give Joe the critiques I've heard of home church so he can tear them apart. Um, <laughs> I I um, also have heard of, you know, the Catholic church is the most liturgical church. And uh, Sister Rose has been on the show before, and she's told me of um, certain Catholic churches where the spirit is active and people will speak in tongues spontaneously. And they call mm. those Catholic churches the happy clappy church, apparently. And I just find that <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, that might. Yeah. yeah, there's a charismatic movement in all traditions for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Joe, uh, I'm going to I'm going to give you the silly critique first, uh, then the other critique so that you could respond to them both in jest. Um, the silliest critique I've heard that's a very common one for home churches is basically um, you never hear of a long running, super big, successful home church and thus God's not in it. Um, and the other critique <laughs> That I, I find more interesting um, is that in the home church, there isn't really a hierarchy in the same way. So you're not 
being held accountable. So um, how would you respond to those two critiques of the home church movement? So I know that you said the first one in in a bit of jest, but there are some people that think that way. It's the whole idea that the success of your church is equal to the amount of people or the amount of dollars or the amount of, you know, that those, those are our barometers that have been used for quite some time. We just saw a whole podcast series come out about calling out one of the bigger, yeah, I'd say bigger examples of this kind of thinking and this kind of approach that like, you know, this is, this means success X and Y that means that God's favor is on it and all of those kinds of things. Um, uh, the best thing that I can say is go back, go through and, and, and start at Genesis and go through to revelation and come to understand how God interacts with his creation, because there's a lot of, um, prosperity gospel type of thinking that gets wrapped up into that of thinking like, this is what it must mean that, to have God's favor. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, it's, it's not huge and we don't have, you know, a, a packed house every single week, but by design, you know what I mean? That's, that's literally the design of the gimmick because <laughs> yeah. when you get past a certain point, you, again, with that whole idea that you're making disciples who, who make disciples, once you get too big, you send people off, you go, you send them off to go do their own thing, to go start their own thing. That's the gimmick. You know what I mean? Like we don't want everybody being under the same roof. That's not the point. The point is to go out and spread the message from sea to sea, from edge of the earth to edge of the earth. That is the Great Commission. I thought you were going to start singing for a second. <laughs> um, the second, the 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 second critique. Um, uh, if there's any one thing. That being on here, I hope shines a light on is that, yes, there are people and I'm sure, Will, you can you can look to this same kind of paradigm for for your tradition and for every the time that you've spent behind the behind the Lutheran pulpit. I'm sure that there are Lutheran churches that are all tradition and zero heart, all, all, you know, it's all rigid. It's all this, it's all that without actually having a heart for people. It's just a checklist. It's just a routine for me. And for my tradition, it's that same kind of deal of, yeah, there are some people that I want religion, but I don't want the rules. When I hear somebody say, I want religion, just not organized religion, I I hear, I want religion, I don't want the rules. Wanting organized, not wanting organized religion and not looking to the church to be the answer for that. Like the the organized liturgical church to be the answer to that. Those are two vastly different things. 
So, yes, there are people who have a, a collection of people that go out for coffee every Sunday, every Sunday, and they call themselves a church. And that's, you know, there's nothing that that actually resembles any kind of church practice or anything like that. And then they don't and, and they invite all kinds of weirdness and all kinds of really strange um, traditions into the whole thing. And it becomes this weird the, 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 this weird um, substitute for what an actual church is. That is an example of this. I cannot deny that. But to throw everything out just because of that is a mistake. To say that everything about, uh, about a home church model, because if you look at the way that a lot of home churches are doing it, and you look at the way that the Book of Acts did it, you're going to find more hits than misses in the traditional type stuff. In the way that the, the way that that home churches should be doing things should mirror the Book of Acts entirely. And so that's that's the that's the idea, right? That that we are trying to foster. A community of believers that aren't dependent on the pastor, aren't dependent on the building, aren't dependent on the group, that they are that this is a training ground for you to go off and for us to eventually have that moment where we have to say goodbye in part ways for you to be able to go and continue the ministry elsewhere, to be able to affect change elsewhere and things like that. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think baked into, I also think baked into all of that is this idea that just because it doesn't mirror the traditionalism of the church, then that just means we don't have anything. We don't have any kind of, any kind of tradition. We don't have any kind of, any kind of structure or anything like that. Again, I go back to what I said before, the, the, the role of pastor, that is one that is biblical. The shepherd is biblical. A plurality of elders, that is biblical. Having these checks and balances in place, all of that is biblical. It's when you get into all of the extended, you know, the assistant to the assistant to the associate pastor to the worship pastor to the, you know, you know, all of these these side things is where it seems like the wheels start to fall off because, mm. you know, you know what I mean? And like that's that's something that this gets complicated when you start to ask those different questions because you have to be willing to, in order to accept something like a home church movement, then you have to accept that just because it doesn't look the same identically doesn't mean that it's wrong within again, a million asterisks. You know what I mean? There's, <laughs> and each one of us yeah. can point to our own traditions and say, there are people that have co-opted this thing that we believe is the right thing for us and have turned it into something that it was never supposed to be. You know what I mean? And, and just because that exists in the home church movement does not mean that that is 
the home church movement. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just, just a couple thoughts with that. Um, having grown up Pentecostal, I always thought it was really amusing when people were like, Oh yeah, you know, Pentecostals are really liberal. Our church was not at all very liberal. <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> conservative. So there's always like, uh, I, I hate when people just throw a title on something and say, that means you're this. And it's just not true. Um, if you're curious what some of those offices look like in a home church, like what Joe's describing, make sure you come back in February. When we do that eight part series, we are going to be asking Joe specifically about some of these offices and his thoughts mm -hmm. as well as will. And I think 10 others. So hang in there, come back in February, check that out. Uh, also my last side note, uh, when he talks about the small groups, all I can think of is that old Testament idea of the small remnant that God kind of, Kind of seems to be a big fan of those. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, so do either of you, our esteemed guests, have questions for each other about this topic or anything you'd like to add to what we've said today? No, I, I feel like I totally get what, what Joe is saying. And, and part of me you know, romant, romanticizes that as someone who's a part of a church uh, big <laughs> with a big building and a pretty big budget going, yeah, I want to I want to simplify and get back to the basics. So there, there's that longing there. I, I guess the vision I want for my church is that our sanctuary does become a, a, a home church, a house church that is a place where, where a family can gather and express and teach and lean into the gospel and then go back out into their daily lives during the week and be disciples of Jesus wherever they work uh, or go to school or, or play. And so that's kind of the vision and what we're pushing here. And yeah, we get distracted by many things, um, politics among committees or yeah. or how much a light bill is going to be or what to spend our budget on or what food pantry we're going to support. I mean, that, that kind of stuff happens. But I think that follows no matter where you go, whether it's Relay for Life or the Boy Scouts <laughs> or a swim team uh, or a school band fundraiser, you're going to have those kinds of um, discussions. So my vision, no matter how big our church is um, or our sanctuary is, that it, that it is a home church where people can can gather as a family and, and then go back out into the world and be disciples. No questions, Joe? No additions? Um So I'm interested to stir, to stir up a little bit of conversation because I think that there are people that probably hear this that are, that are more, I think I would, I would guess now you guys would be able to tell me, tell me differently, but I would guess that there's probably more people that would be listening to this. that would be able to identify with you, Will, than with me. And in terms of doing the whole organized denominational church experience and things like that. So I want to I want to spur off. It's easy. Well, I should say easier for somebody like me to go on a, a big old tirade about how a lot of American churches have become atheist factories and a lot because because of that whole idea of tradition over spirit and all of those kinds mm. of things, tradition over relationship and things like that as somebody who i've had the opportunity to um spend time with and have conversation with and all of those kinds of things and somebody who has a heart for expressing the heart of jesus how how can organized groups pump the brakes before they get to atheist factory status where where it stops becoming about 
what can we do for us? What can we, what, what flashy things can we have? What do, what do, are we so self-centered on our own stuff and what we bring to the equation and start thinking about what can we do for the community? What good can we do for the community at large, for the people? And how can we be living out the great commission? Yeah, I, my, my first response to that is I think a lot of denominations or traditional organized denominational groups, mainline Protestant, that that whenever, whether it's young or old person, disciple, wants to bring a question to the table, uh, the church gets defensive or they close say, nope, nope, you're challenging the system. You're challenging the tradition. There's no way we can change. We're not going to change. Uh, don't Those questions aren't welcome here. And I, I think a way to pump those brakes is just to say, this is a safe and brave space to ask whatever question you have. And however you're going to learn is is by asking questions. And so, yeah, if you, you have an interpretation of scripture, you don't understand how faith and science go together or someone's shaming you because you play Dungeons and Dragons or, or whatever, because you know like look let's let's have these conversations and not get defensive when someone has a legitimate authentic question that they bring to the table i think a lot of we're trying to gatekeep and protect our institutional structure or building or we want things to be exactly the way we were they were in the 60s or when we were a kid we're not we're not necessarily christian churches we're nostalgia factories you know we just want to keep things the way they were so i think being open to change open to evolving while leaning into this unchangeable love and grace and gospel of, of Jesus is the way to go. So my suggestion there would be like, all right, listen to your teenagers, listen to your kids, listen to your young adults, listen to whatever age someone brings a, a good question to the table. Don't get defensive and listen to what they're asking and what was behind that question. And maybe maybe that can make a difference than just trying to say that's not welcome here in, in this space. All Practically, right. what does that look like? You know, I mean, there's nothing um, to just say, just, you know, do that. But what does it look like? Well, I, I think in our our church, right at the beginning, I, I did kind of open Q&A, grill Pastor Will, ask Pastor Will anything, um, um, stump the pastor kind of forums where people can ask me whatever question they have. And there's no wrong or right. And I was not... Um, I did not, I, I was not presumptuous to say, I made it clear up front that I didn't know all the answers. And if you ask a question I don't know an answer to, cool, I'll write it down, I'll investigate, and maybe we can go look at that together. But I wanted to be clear right up front, whatever question you have, there's no shame in it. And I would do that in our youth program, our um, campus ministry program. We'd have different people from different vocations uh, do forms, whether they're scientists or uh, teachers or law enforcement to, to have forms where that people can ask them questions of what they do um, and uh, and go from there. So I think um, just allowing people space to do those things is uh, just start, start from there. All right. Yeah. It's, it is very nice to hear somebody in your position saying that, that the the conversation needs to be warned or it needs to be okay. You know what I mean? We need to be okay with having conversation and having communication yeah. and things like that. Because I think that that's where a lot of, you know, and, and like I said about, about home church, right? 
just because there are people that screw up denominations doesn't mean that that we need to throw out denominations. I do think that there are that that it has largely become about more about tradition than it has become about scripture and about truth and about things like that. But the way that you the way that you combat that is by allowing for people to poke and prod and all of those kinds of things. Poke into the traditions. Poke into, show me in the Bible where it says that we need to do this, that, or the other thing. Or show me in the Bible where it says that this is the way that we have to do worship or something along those lines or whatever the case may be. Careful, Joe. You're sounding sounding very Lutheran. Sound like Martin Luther. Stop it. You sound like you're a 1500s reformer. I think that there's a lot of good to what, to what Martin Luther did. I think that I can understand why he is held in such high esteem to so many people and why he's so quoted and, and held up on a pedestal for some, uh, for some, I, it's, I get, I get it. Do I think that, that, that there has been uh, uh, taking that ball you know, a bit too far. Yeah, definitely. I think that and for some people, he's held in the same kind of light that the Pope is for the Catholics. So, I, I mean. He said some pretty, pretty stupid, nasty things, too. So there, he, we definitely don't consider him a saint. Uh, he, a doctor of theology. Yeah. Bible teacher. Yeah. Uh, not not a saint at all. Well, you know, here at the whole church, we believe everyone should speak and drink like Lutheran Luther. So. Okay. No. Yeah. Of we, course. We don't believe. Wait. Oh. <laughs> but uh, I don't think any of us or many others uh, would deny that both home churches and the Lutheran Church are part of the collective whole church. Uh, how do we have unity in the church with such different structures in place for different parties, different parts? I think it's biblical. I think, you know, you have a, we have four gospels because they emerged out of four different communities, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all had different communities and, and there were different towns. There were port towns, there were city towns, there were home churches, they were meeting in synagogues, they were meeting in homes, they were meeting not necessarily on Sunday, but other times during the week. And I, I think to understand that there's a diversity and plurality within the scripture themselves that we can say, as we have this diversity among us, that it's, it's actually biblical. Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things is is being willing to not divide over things that we don't need to divide about. Like if there, if there are core things where this, this group over here or this church or whatever, they are teaching something that is not scripture. That's one thing. If it's, if they're teaching something that is not biblical, that's one thing, but just because they have a different tradition, those aren't the same thing. You know what I mean? And and so being willing to accept that there are other groups that, you know, everybody loves a good debate sometimes. There's a there's time and a place for that. And you know, if ever the case the, the case came up, I am sure Will and I could go 12 rounds with a ref and and it would be a lot of fun. But <laughs> that being said, at the end of the day, we still we live in a culture today where tribalism is king. 
Tribalism mm. is is the is the name of the game. If you are not with me, then you are against me sort of thing. And we need to move away from that. We need to move away from drawing lines in such a hardcore way because there are good things. There are good aspects. Even if you disagree with the whole the the totality of the way somebody else does it there are there are good points that come out of it you know what i mean some people may look to those traditions and say i need those traditions another person may look at those traditions and say that's stifling i don't i don't need anything mm. to do with that that just kills any opportunity for the spirit to be able to take in and both can be right that's okay because it is personal perspective to a certain degree when you're, right. when you're talking about that. So unity is something that we are called to, like you said, Will, biblically speaking, that's the name of the game. Mm. Man, you could put that on a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> although it might be a really long quote for a t-shirt. We'll see. <laughs> if you guys see me wearing it, you'll know. <laughs> hey, guys, um, well, the one last thing we, we like to ask question wise uh, we love to ask people to give our listeners just a single tangible action that they could go and do that would help maintain the unity of the church like something they can stop this recording and just go do it um what is one thing and i'll, I'll let will start first what is one thing that people could go do that would help maintain unity who i i you know apart from be becoming a better listener, embed yourself in, in deeper relationships that those are given. I, I would say that if you don't understand a particular tradition or a denomination or um, an aspect of Christianity that you don't, then then go may perhaps worship at that church a Sunday or a couple of Sundays or go be with some people and meet with them for coffee and ask questions that to go into their space, not to challenge or ask questions, say, this is stupid, but to say, I'm going to open myself up and be in this with them and, and accompany them in this moment or, or in during this worship service and open yourself to what, what God is doing in that space. All right. All right. Uh, Joe, do you have a single tangible action that people could go do that would help maintain unity? Yeah, shut up and love on somebody. Um, I, I say right. that tongue in cheek, but honestly, regardless of what the what the traditionalism is, we are we are called to love God, love others. That's the name of the game. And when we get so caught up in allowing for things like politics to get involved. Man, so social issues like, you know, and this is a variety of things, but we've really seen it in a lot of regards as of late about, you know, should we wear masks? Should we do this? Should we do that? When those become the main talking points, you've lost track of what the actual purpose of this whole thing is and what we are actually called into. So stop Stop arguing, stop bickering, stop tribalizing and love on somebody first and foremost, because anybody who you're friends with, it's not a big feat to love on a friend. Anybody can love on their friend, but loving on somebody who you disagree with is much different. And that's what we're called into. 
Yeah, it's hard to hate up close. Um, and I, I, our mission statement is loving God, love neighbor, love God, love neighbor is, is kind of our mission statement. And it's like, and we gather here to, to learn what that means. What, what does it look like to love God? What does it look like to love neighbor? And, and, uh, so yeah, it's just that simple. Love God, love neighbor. Yeah, that's crazy. It sounds like both of them read the Bible before coming on here. And I just <laughs> love when guests do prep work. It's great. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the last segment we'd like to do before we get into the outro uh, is our God moment segment where we just talk about a moment from recently in our lives where you know we saw God, whether it's a blessing or a challenge or a moment of worship or any of those things. And uh, I always make Josh go first so the rest of us have plenty of time to think. You know, I knew what it was before this and now I forgot what it was. It's not <laughs> just, just thrilling. Um. Oh, oh, I here. Here's mine. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk about our other podcast for my God moment again. <laughs> I uh, getting ready for. We're about to record an episode about college football, and uh, naturally, the conversation comes up of is Nick Saban the best college football ever? Uh, he has a hundred less games than Bobby Bowden. Just saying. So uh, I, I, I'm a Florida <laughs> State fan. I love Bobby Bowden. So naturally, I'm started looking up some quotes from him that I was like, I'm gonna throw this in the show and. Honestly, I spent probably a lot longer than I should just reading quotes of things he said about the importance of the church and the importance of scripture. And I was just like, man, here's this guy wasn't ordained or anything who just said some really powerful stuff. It was a cool moment. All right. Uh, My God moment for this week is a blessing. Uh, I bought myself a a queen size mattress today, Uh, you know, so for the first time and 22-ish years. Uh, I, I won't be sleeping on a twin bed. So I'm very blessed to be in a position where I can do that. Nice. It is very nice. Uh, Joe, do you Sleep have a God? Yeah. Joe, do you have a God moment for us? Yeah. Um, this morning, I went out to breakfast with um, another kingdom dude in this area. We kind of floated in similar circles but we're just getting around to really getting to know each other we both had the same mentor and he left town but before leaving town he kind of like put us together and and told us you know we should we should get to know each other and all of that and this dude is has been in ministry for the last 10 years and is expressing a lot of the same things that I myself just getting, just cracking into ministry um, deal with and things like that. And it was a, it was a huge thing to see that regardless of how long you've been in ministry and things like that, that we're all in the same fight, that we're all going through this thing together. And I was reminded of of the unity in the body that can only come from God. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Extra point for using unity in the God moment. <laughs> That's true. This is a graded podcast. Uh, <laughs> Make note, future guests, if you say unity, you get extra points. Yep. Uh, Pastor Will, do you have a God moment for us? Yeah, I we um as we wrap up uh the season of Christmas and 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 to the season of Epiphany, you know, it was pretty mild, warm weather around here over Christmas and even on New Year's Day in the mountains. I took a walk around a lake uh, with with shorts on, 
you know, and, and even sweat a little bit. Uh, but then we got back here to, to good old Chapel Hill and a front Snow. came through and, and it snowed and we saw flurries. And on the 10th day of Christmas, we had a white Christmas because we saw snow. It didn't stick a whole lot, but it was fun to walk in it and see it. And, and I marvel at the beauty of creation and, and got a little snow. Yeah. And marvel at the weather of the South. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always love Southern snow. Nothing like it. Except, you know, most other snow, but I, yeah, I don't like snow at all, but I just don't like the cold. <laughs> Can't relate. But uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing, consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy. You are always free to do so. Uh, or a cousin. Do you give yeah. you that option as well? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joe, Will, uh, where can our listeners go to hear more from you guys or follow your ministries? Yeah, you can find uh, you can find me at buddywalkwithjesus.com. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook if you look up uh, Kingdom on the Road. Nice. Will? Yeah, I'm on um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram as well. You know, also I'll make a little plug too. I have a book on Amazon. It's my um, it's called I'm Gonna Miss That Guy. And it's my uh, Holy Week sermon from Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter, all compiled in one book uh, that you can get on Amazon. And if you want to see kind of a, a snapshot of, of my theology or, or how I preached uh, Holy Week at Holy Trinity, uh, you can you can get that book on Amazon. I am upset that I'm just Very now cheap. hearing about that. So uh, here I come, Amazon. I'm, I'm modi- I'm, yeah. I've been modest about <laughs> it, but then someone encouraged me that I should start sharing more. Yeah, you, you on, should. On I would love to. So, yeah. um, also... You could follow any of us by going to systematicgeekology.org and there's a drop down menu where you can hit host and you can find all the episodes that anyone's in by name. So, yeah. All right. Some future guests of the show. We have return guest Kelly O'Sullivan, a longtime friend of the podcast and Anglican minister. Sam Rainier, uh, president of Church Answers and pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church. Uh, an eight-part series about church offices featuring interviews with 12 different church leaders, two of which are here with us. And maybe at the end of season one, we'll have Francis Chan. Yeah, he doesn't know yet, but I'm sure he'll figure it out. <laughs> right. Hopefully he doesn't know yet, because that would mean he's declined. <laughs> once he knows, we're going to end here. season one. Uh, so thank you so much for listening today. We have one more tiny segment that we do after the show. Uh, you go to Patreon and slide us a couple dollars. You can hit that. And uh, thanks for listening.